Welcome to Broadway Radio's review recap episode for the first ever Broadway revival of Funny Girl. My name is Matt Tamanini. All right, all together now. If you are listening to this on Patreon, it is a standalone episode in your feed. And if you are hearing it in the regular feed, welcome to Today on Broadway for Monday, April 25th, 2022. Last night at the August Wilson Theater on the original stage and screen star Barbara Streisand's 80th birthday, no less, Funny Girl finally returned to the main stem for the first time since the original production closed in 1967. This time, the show is directed by Michael Mayer, choreographed by Eleanor Scott, and features a revised book by Harvey Firestein. Leading the production as real-life vaudeville and Ziegfeld star Fanny Bryce is Beanie Feldstein, and playing her con artist love Nick Arnstein is Ramin Karamloo. Also in the company are Jared Grimes, Jane Lynch, Afra Hines, Amber Arterlino, and more. Review aggregator site Did They Like It has collected 17 reviews as of recording time, with three being positive, seven being mixed, and seven being negative. All right, let's go. Let's start with Jesse Green of the New York Times, who not once, but twice in his review, referred to the show's original star as Barbara Streisman. I kid you not. I'm recording this 54 minutes after the review was initially published, and it has not yet been corrected on the New York Times website. I mean, as somebody who struggles at times with pronunciations, I, I, I guess I don't have a ton of room to talk, although pronunciations and spellings are much different. Um, but I'm also not the chief theater critic or the arts editor at the New York Times, although I am open to either position if anyone at the Great Lady would like to make me an offer. But absolutely an embarrassing mistake for anyone to make, let alone the New York Times. But anyway, Green says in his review, quote, to rip the bandage off quickly, Feldstein is not stupendous. She's good. She's funny enough in places and immensely likable always, as was already evident from her performances in the movies Booksmart and Lady Bird and on Broadway and Hello, Dolly. You root for her to raise the roof, but she only bumps against it a little. Her voice, though solid and sweet and clear, is not well suited to the music, and you feel her working as hard as she can to power through the gap. But working hard at what should be naturally extraordinary is not in Fanny's DNA. Still, you can't blame Feldstein for the show's problems. That would be like blaming the clown for the elephants. The main elephant is the book, written by Isabel Lenart and fiddled with for this production by Harvey Firestein to no avail. He concludes his review with, quote, This could all have been predicted. Over the years, many revivals have been attempted and defeated because the thing a revival is trying to revive is not to be found in the property itself. It's in the personality of the necessary star. Someone not nice, but inevitable. Not diligent, but explosive. Not well-rounded, but weird. They don't grow them that way much anymore, nor write new material for them. Paging Miss Streisman. And if you hurry before someone over the New York Times voting hears about it, you can read that last embarrassing stunner of a line for yourself. Next up, Helen Shaw from Vulture said, quote, Some of Feldstein's assets do make the trip over from film. She's winningly fresh. She gives great bumble. She has beautiful eyes the size of hubcaps which roll and twinkle and flirt. In the first act, when Bryce is an inexperienced gal blustering her way into the big time, Feldstein exudes a nice mix of hard-charging ambition and surprised giddiness when she succeeds. But in song after song, Feldstein's voice lets her down. Piercing and unpleasant when it gets any higher than her chest, fading and pitchy when it descends even a few steps, it's simply not a sound you expect to hear on Broadway. Julie Stein and lyricist Bob Merrill wrote some stunners for Funny Girl, including People and Don't Rain on My Parade. 
The latter song sits in Feldstein's narrow comfort range, and so she blasts it out, particularly its final note, with foghorn force, if not phrasing. Everything else, though, goes sour. I will mention here that Adam Feldman gave the show two out of five stars in Time Out in New York, yet his subhead, Beanie Feldstein Falls on Her Fanny, was a little too delightfully glib and condescending for my taste. I don't think it was fitting for what was actually a fairly thoughtful review. I actually went into that review with a sour taste in my mouth just because a fairly disrespectful uh, subhead. So I don't know if that was Adam or one of his editors, but uh, we don't need that. Anyway, um, into the review itself, he said, quote, This revival has its pleasures, notably in the dancing. As Fanny's hapless would-be suitor, Jared Grimes tap dances up a few brief storms, and the chorus, festooned in wittily over-the-top costumes and headdresses, delivers the show's Follies pastiche numbers with aplomb. It's also a very attractive production, thanks in part to Kevin Adams' lighting, Susan Hilferty's marvelous costumes, Feldstein looks fab throughout, and David Zinn's well-imagined set, whose central cylindrical tower of bricks opens up to reveal a suite of other spaces. But you know a production of Funny Girl hasn't clicked when you leave thinking, well, at least it was pretty. Naveen Kumar, one of the few positive reviews writing for Broadway News, said, quote, Playing the part of a marquee idol is daunting on its own. Playing one made famous by Barbara Streisand, see Jesse, some people know how to spell check uh, famous people's last names, may seem like a fool's errand. Doubtless one reason Funny Girl hasn't been on Broadway since its original staging in 1964. But it's no exaggeration to say that a star is being born, nice reference to another Barbra Streisand uh, property, by the way, at the August Wilson Theater, where Beanie Feldstein toplines a winning revival with her own distinct cachet of wit and charisma. Similarly, Robert Hoffler from The Rap writes, quote, Feldstein doesn't possess Streisand's voice, but what she does offer is a sweet, piping sound that encompasses the score's range from E below middle C to a high F. Equally important, she respects that 1964 score and doesn't modernize it with a lot of melismatic distortions. As listeners know, I have been rooting for Beanie to be dynamite in this show throughout, but we all know, and we've openly discussed, these issues were inevitable uh, once her casting was announced. I agree that it was smart to cast somebody with very different skill sets and backgrounds than Streisand, uh, as it would hope to at least slightly lessen the comparisons, at least with audiences, because the critics were never going to overlook that. But as I've said many times before here on Broadway Radio, the only thing that this show really has going for it is its score. And if you don't have someone who can really make that score sound special, then you don't really have much at all. Anyway, if you would like to read more of these and other reviews, we will have links to both the Did They Like It and Broadway World review recaps in the show notes. So that is all that we have for you. If you are listening to this on Patreon, have a wonderful Monday. And if you're listening to this in the regular feed, I will send you over to the rest of Today on Broadway. Welcome to Today on Broadway for Monday, April 25th, 2022. I'm Broadway Radio's Matt Tiamanini. And I'm arts and culture writer Ashley Steves. Ashley, um, I went and saw a show on Sunday 
I'm not going to share my thoughts here because we are recording an episode of This Week in Theater later this week. Mm. Um, So if you want to hear my thoughts on the new Aaron's and Flaherty musical Knoxville, which is having its world premiere at the Oslo Rep in Sarasota, Florida, tune into this week's This Week Week in Theater. Um, It stars some folks you might have heard of, Jason Danielly, Paul Alexander Nolan, Mm -hmm. Hannah Ellis, and it also features Nathan Salstone as well. Um, great cast, great creators. Mm-hmm. You can hear the rest on this episode of This Week in Theater. Um, you'll be able to hear that first in Patreon at patreon.com slash broadwayvideo, broadwayvideo.com slash Patreon. Um, of course, we also had an episode of This Week on Broadway come out over the weekend. In the episode, they talk about suffs, which uh, I'm excited to hear their thoughts on that. Also, To My Girls at Second Stage, as well as mm-hmm. the Broadway productions of American Buffalo, How I Learned to Drive, for colored girls who have considered suicide when the rainbow is enough, as well as um, some other things there. So listen to that in the podcast feed now. As we are recording, they are about 35 minutes into the opening night production of the Broadway revival of Funny Girl. That's true. So um, by the time you hear this, if it's in the podcast feed, you might have another feed or another episode in the feed of the reviews. But if you are hearing this in the regular feed, you've already heard those reviews. So you are actually ahead of the people yeah. in Patreon. But you should You're still ahead of should. us, in fact. Somehow. In fact, you are. You've Very circled good. back around. It's, uh, it's a uh, Jeremy Barry. Me. There so, you go. Uh, Yay, you did it. <laughs> Jeremy bear me. I was I was uh debating between going I with know. that or time is a flat circle, but I went with Jeremy Bear I me could instead. I could hear the wheels turning slowly in your brain. Very slowly. Cool. I got um so Mike Shore, the creator of yeah. The Good Place, he has a new book out about moral philosophy, which is a of lot course. based off of the research that he did for The Good Place. And you if you bought it directly from whatever company he was supporting Mm -hmm. he would autograph it for you in like 50 words or less and i said something about jeremy i used a quote from the good place about jeremy barry i don't remember which the exact wording the problem is nobody likes moral philosophers well i like the good place but that's okay too too. yeah (laughs) uh, all right let's get into the show ashley and great cool (laughs) great googly moogly the broadway (laughs) league has done it again because on Friday, in the news dumpiest news dump of the pos- of the uh, of the past week, in the worst possible way, they announced that they had moved the eligibility cutoff to May fourth for this year's Tony Awards. Mm-hmm. That means that instead of having the award nominations announced on May third, they will now be announced on May 9th. Instead of it happening midday, May the ninth be with you. May the ninth be with you. They are doing it at nine a.m. A little more in their traditional time slot. That also pushes back things like the Meet the Nominees uh, event and all of that stuff as well. This, of course, was uh, prompted by the fact that a number of shows that are still yet to open have mm. been dealing with COVID issues, making their r- preview processes and then the, uh, you know, even ability to have opening nights with their full casts um, happen. So let me first say, Ashley, this is okay. the right and proper move. Correct. 
The problem is that this move should have happened two months ago. <laughs> when you looked at the schedule and saw there were like 17 openings in a calendar month, and there was still the increase of, at yeah. that point, the BA.2 Omicron variant. And not even this, that. There shouldn't have been 16 openings in the month of April. Like, that was correct. easily avoidable at, all, <laughs> at many, many I, costs. Yeah. I don't know if it was easily avoidable, but it was avoidable. The Broadway League controls when your opening night is. That's what I'm is. saying. They're, but they're, I'm saying like they're shows. Not even, they're not even <laughs> looking at a calendar and making these decisions. They're the one making the calendar. That's what is so ridiculous. Yeah. And, and waiting this long just seems like so disrespectful to all of the yep. performances that rushed to get in under the deadline um obviously yeah. we still have um shows opening this week obviously since that announcement we've got funny girl on sunday mm-hmm. we have skin of our teeth on monday we have a strange loop on tuesday um we have mr saturday night on wednesday we are um there's another sub- one on wednesday too right well uh no maybe uh. potus potus was supposed to be i don't uh. think it is anymore uh. um Macbeth was supposed to be on Thursday, which it might be, which is the last one. POTUS, because as we talked about last week, pre this announcement, Julianne Huff, uh, is, is quarantining and we don't yeah. exactly know when she tested positive. I believe she was in the show on Monday night. So even if she tested positive on Tuesday, um, she would have to sit out for, I believe, 10 days, right? I think so. So that would push it the past same. the original opening. So, I imagine that that's one's going to be one that's getting moved. I, if I, I had guess. to guess, if I would have to guess, I think it would be, um, next Sunday. It, just make yep. it the, the, you know, a lot of Sunday openings make and they, sense. And they pushed up in the first place to exactly. make this eligibility deadline, the initial one. Uh, anyway, so I mean, it would theoretically make sense to go back to it, but my God. Yeah. I mean, and four of, um, those shows that still have yet to open, Skin of Artica, yeah. Strange Loop, Macbeth, and Potus. I don't know why I'm saying Macbeth. I mean, like, Macbeth. It's to, Macbeth avoid, like, it's to avoid the curse, obviously. Well, yeah. You the, pronounce uh, it, it weird, you're safe. Well, no. Uh, you know what it is? It's I was so used to that production a couple years ago that was all young women and girls mm. um, where they actually put the space in between the two words. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, remember that? Macbeth. So anyway, Macbeth um, and Potus, they've all been impacted by COVID. So like yep. this would have been information that probably would have been beneficial to have. Two weeks ago, three weeks Maybe. ago, eight weeks ago. Um, the whole thing is just a, 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 <laughs> really? a, cult, a Travis Shamakery, a fluster cock, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> but um, the Broadway League president, um, Charlotte St. Martin, and the American Theater Wing president friend, and yeah. chief executive, Heather Hitchens, said in a joint statement, due to the challenges that Broadway has faced in recent weeks and in an effort to allow nominators to see Tony eligible shows, we have decided to extend the deadline for eligibility requirements. So... I don't think they actually care about the challenges that Broadway has faced in recent weeks. I, I think oh. they are just worried about covering their own butts and making sure yes. that their, their nominators can see everything. So this is about the awards. This is not about the productions, Correct. which seems bonkers to me when the Broadway League is made up primarily of producers of shows. So that's, that's kind of the thing. And again, like they are the ones that are making the calendar. So it's not like the, you know, this is, they have to be some kind of Nostradamus to predict all this. Like we've been do, first of all, we've been doing this for two years. Second and of all... we've been saying this for months. Yeah, yeah. Like, this we've isn't been, hard. We've been saying this for months. These productions have been shutting down over and over and over again for months. And the ones that you just mentioned, I mean, 
I, I would assume at this point, a strange loop is probably the biggest, you know, most anticipated one that's about to open. And they've totally. had to keep pushing back over and over and over again for just, you know, their initial first preview. So it's, it's very much a noticeable thing. It's not like this is something that's happening under the radar and they've just been told about it four and a half minutes ago. Like they know and they're the people that are making the calendar. So it is, it is such a slap in the face, I feel like, to every single person involved with these shows that not only have you kind of put everybody into, well, not even kind of, you put everybody into a situation where if they wanted to be part of the season, they all had to open up in like a span of three weeks and then simultaneously ignored everything that was happening until the very last minute where then they decided to change it, where everybody had already put their health at you know on the line and at risk to mm-hmm. get these shows open and now they're just like well we're gonna push it back again like, you know all this this is <laughs> this isn't a secret if we're no. talking about it how is the broadway league not yeah it, it really is just a the latest in a long line of screw-ups less from the broadway than useless league. Less, less than useless they are counterproductive is what they are at this point yeah, um, and honestly. i'm sure i'm sure they do th- at least in this respect i'm sure they do they've done plenty of other good work behind the scenes but in terms of like managing the season and keeping things running and I'm keeping nice. and learning from covid um they have been absolutely worthless yep. but all right let's move on to some show news here and some show and casting news unfortunately we're going to start with a closure as it was announced last week that the current off-broadway production of the tony winning musical jersey boys will conclude its run on may 22nd um, it is currently playing at New World Stages. The um, London, West End, and American and UK tours will continue to run. I've only seen Jersey Boys on tour. I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. It's a fun show. Yeah, I, I think totally. it it is responsible, unfortunately, for a lot of the jukebox musicals that we see promulgating um, yep. the theater right now. But Jersey Boys, I think, was a genuinely well-constructed Definitely. Beautifully yeah. created musical um, that I enjoyed tremendously and would have no problem seeing again if it wasn't so freaking expensive at New World Stages. <laughs> it's expensive. I was very surprised to see this closing, honestly. I mean, we've talked about it a few times, actually, recently. It might mm-hmm. have been me and Grace, but I mean, just the fact that we have this musical that, as you said, has led to so many other jukebox musicals still going. And what I expected to go for a very long time is very surprising. But I agree with you. I think it is a very well-constructed show, which cannot be said about some of the others that have come from it. But hey. Yeah, I feel like we started really well. With, and these obviously weren't the first and they weren't necessarily back to back. Sure. No. You go from like Jersey Boys to Beautiful, which is, I think, a less beautifully constructed show, but it's still yeah, so good. well, it's still good show. And then we started to get diminishing returns from there. But yeah. there are still bright spots and there are still ones that, that are uh, worthwhile. Like I really enjoyed A2 proud more than i think mm, other oh people yeah did. but but anyway all right let's also talk about a show that believe it or not i will be seeing Ooh, yes. out in st louis Good. this is uh <laughs> the muni's production of sweeney todd that will be running from july 16th through the 22nd they announced their three principals uh last week it will be led by the great carmen cusack as mm-hmm. mrs lovett which i feel like that's inspired casting yeah agreed um, Ben Davis will take on the title role. And honestly, somebody who I have been a fan of 
since 1998, my first trip wow. to New York City, when I saw him do confrontation in Jekyll yeah, and Hyde, fair. like that was like an oh my God moment. The rest of the show was a different type of oh my God <laughs> moment. But watching Robert Cuccioli do confrontation from the front row, I may I may say, oh. was mesmerizing. So very excited to be able to see this. I am going to see this. And then I'm going to wait a few days at my aunt's house and then oh, nice. see Legally Blonde. Whenever they freaking announce that cast, I will be going absolutely <laughs> <Obvious>. crazy. <laughs> so I'm very excited about that casting as I've got well. To, we've got to coordinate because I feel like this is – I'm going to have to make this it's trip. I, I've been waiting for it. I've it's been time. waiting for it. Yep. It is time. <laughs> got to pull um, the trigger. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I'm also going to be going – in August with my mom back to St. Louis to see um, Joseph and Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. We talked about the casting last week. As as longtime listeners know, my mother is a deep and devout fan of Jessica Bosk, who will be playing the narrator. She should be. So so I told my mom, and she's like, well, I'm calling your Aunt Molly, and we're going to (laughs) come. Or she said, I'm going to come if you want to come, too. So I think we're going to go back. I think you're safe. I might as well just buy a season pass to the Muni because it's great. Uh, anyway, okay, so in less news, more of like speculation, mm-hmm. last week, the great Sir Tim Rice sent out a tweet that said, just about to fly to New York for discussions about At Chess the Musical and Aida, then he had the At Aida Tour uh, handle, yeah. have left Kirsty the dog at home, so I'm not confident this tweet will get any <laughs> responses. My friend... Do you not know us? Yeah, right. Um, because <laughs> we all there, live here. Please. Yes, this is. There are sixty-two replies at least at the time that I uh, pulled this up. Let me see it up again. But these are two shows that have had a lot of rumors over the past few mm-hmm. years. They've been trying to get a revival of Chess to Broadway for years. There has been yeah, a lot of had the concert a few years ago. Yeah, there, there's been a lot of debate about who owns the rights, whether it's the U.S. producers or the British producers, because there's been producer, there's been productions on both sides of the Atlantic in recent mm-hmm. years, and there was a lot of legal back and forth as to who owns the rights to a Broadway revival. Um, and then there was supposed to be an Aida, I believe that was supposed to launch it like paper mail, and it was supposed to go on tour and then come to Broadway. Yeah. That was shelved for a German tour, I believe. David Henry Wong, who I spoke to during mm-hmm. the pandemic, was rewriting that book, or at least was. Um, and he had still even said at that point that they had hoped to bring it to Broadway um, or at least bring it to the States. We don't know exactly what so. that means, but we know that Tim Rice is at least coming to New York for discussions about it. So I am, about it. Yeah. I am here for that. And also, of course, maybe he'll come to St. Louis with me and my mom to see Joseph, <laughs> which he wrote the lyrics for. I, I'm sure he's already booked his ticket and he's ready to go. He's got a Absolutely. seat saved for y'all. I can't wait. Sir yeah. Timmy. Sir, Sir Timmy. Timmy. Sir Timmy Rice. Uh, All right, let's take a real quick moment to talk about our sponsor for this Play On podcast. So I want to tell you about a show that I think you all will enjoy. If I know our listeners, I know they will enjoy us. And that is Play On Podcast. What it is, is it's an epic audio adventure that reimagines Shakespeare's timeless tales featuring original music composition and the voices of some of your favorite award-winning actors. Each episode explores a different play from... Macbeth or Macbeth, if you will, to A Midsummer Night's Dream in a way that people can actually understand. And it's created specifically for the podcast medium by some of America's most exciting playwrights, directors, and composers, and performed by stage and screen's best. So you can check out their current season of King Lear, which stars the 
legendary Emmy winner Keith David, as well as stage and screen star and severance star Trammell Tillman, who I will have an interview coming up with perhaps on Monday. (laughs) Um, I was hoping for it to come up over the weekend, but I got sick. So anyway, um, uh, you can hear Shakespeare like you've never heard it before. Subscribe to Play On Podcasts wherever you get your podcast. The production of King Lear, in which Keith David plays Lear and Trammell Tillman plays Edmund, um, is set against like a jazz background in like San Francisco. It's unbelievable. Um, and I hope you listen to that and also listen to my conversation with Trammell Tillman with me to talk about all things Shakespeare, play on podcasts, and of course Severance because I am who Obviously, I am. Obviously, yes. Say less. Yeah. I'm in. Yes. There you go. Uh, All right. So here's the thing. This next story is like making a mess of something that was already messy. True. But Dave Malloy, the composer of the Broadway musical Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812, is now taking legal action against the show's producers. The composer claims that he is owed hundreds of thousands of dollars from producer Howard Kagan, who you might remember made an absolute mess of things during Dog's the Broadway show. dinner, yeah. Yeah, he has been doing the show in Japan and Korea and not paying Dave Malloy. Malloy has asked the New York County Supreme Court to appoint an arbitrator to settle the situation. There was a ton of things that happened with investors and stuff mm-hmm. around Kagan during the production. There was also the really, really horribly handled um, mess that happened with the replacements for original star mm-hmm. Josh Groban, which include Okarite Anadawan and Mandy Patinkin and all of these things that happened and then closed it down basically, I think, to shut down the backlash he was getting. I think yeah. that's, I mean, that's, that's my read of it. That's, um, I feel like that's most people's read of it. Yeah. And, and if it's not correct, then they've done a terrible job at damage control over the past X number of years. If that's not the case. Yeah. So it's just an absolute mess. Um, I'm always on the side of Dave Malloy. So, yep. uh, and Howard Kagan has proven himself to not be the most trustworthy of producers. <laughs> so hopefully, yeah. So hopefully the New York County Supreme court can get an arbitrator in there to figure that out. Fingers crossed. Uh, all right. I have two feel good recommendations to wrap up the show. Mm. The first one um, I will just mention because it explains itself. Katrina <laughs> Link was on uh, the late show with Seth Myers earlier this week, or I guess last week. She's saying being alive. If you need more of that, there's a link in the show notes. And it's actually late night with Seth Myers. The late, late show night is. With Seth. Yes, please. Yeah, so, get get uh, it together. They're very different. Well, one is a former Letterman show. One is a show that came on after Letterman's and, old and show. And now I'm very a Colbert show, please. I know. I'm Put very some confused. respect on it. Anyway, um, the the last feel good recommendation is this very cool new series that has been launched between a collaboration uh, of Playbill and Situation Interactive, which is a um, a digital first marketing agency that does a ton of work on Broadway. I've worked with them many many times over the years with my work through Broadway World. Nice, uh, but. So what this is, it's a series that is calling itself a celebration and appreciation of the artistry, craft, and audience behind shows currently open on Broadway. So what they will do is is they they will work with theater enthusiast and critic uh, Ayanna Prescott to launch a series that will work in tandem with a small team of up-and-coming theater writers who have a a deep appreciation and understanding for theater and its ability to move and excite people. Um, They will talk about 
what it you know what it means to make a broadway show in terms of like production expenses production staff designers marketing team actors stage managers and all of that other th- stuff these are not reviews or criticism every single piece is designed to foster enthusiasm and help encourage audiences and theater fans to be more responsive and appreciative of what they see here and experience on stage interesting when i first heard this i was like oh they're just like paying people to write positive reviews. Mm. Uh, so I'm glad they really cleared up that these are not criticism. This is more about celebrating the people behind the scenes. I think that is always yeah, totally. positive. I, I have a feeling that, unfortunately, we're going to be seeing more people try to write these um, reviews for hire type things that I thought uh-huh. this was. So I'm glad that Playbill and Situation, which have vested interest in these shows, aren't doing that. But I'm completely behind getting thoughtful, smart people um, into how Broadway works. They have their first... Oh, God, um, please. Yeah, they have their first article up, which is on Wicked, which um, I feel like is a very good place to start because it's a show that so many people know and love that Mm -hmm. it'll be a great way to kind of inform people about what this series will be. Get those helpful, smart people into the Broadway League. Yeah, I believe that. I see it. <laughs> anyway, that is all that we have for today. Thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Broadway Radio. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BWW Matt. Oh, Actually, I'm, I'm sorry. You? Just pause. <laughs> uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at No, This Is Ashley, if Matt cares. I'm sorry. I'm just so I'm I'm just so <laughs> taken so by the Broadway League. Overwhelmed by the Broadway League and the show that you saw on Sunday. Yeah, which I will be talking about later yeah, this week yeah. in this week in theater. Mm-hmm. All right, everybody, have a wonderful <laughs> Monday, a wonderful week, and we'll be back to talk to you tomorrow.